my name's Obed, and I'm one of the leaders here. And thank you for, like, dedicating this part of your Sunday to gathering with us. Um, we are confident your experience um, will be worthwhile in so many ways. As a church, we've been studying and diving into the book of Jonah, deep into the book of Jonah. And this Sunday, we come to the last part of Jonah. Um, next Sunday is going to be our last Sunday in Jonah. What we're going to do is I'm going to kind of wrap it all up, give a conclusion, and then we're going to have several members of our church who will give us some reflections on Jonah. Um, but this week, we're going to come to the end, look at the final verses of Jonah, and then we're going to see what we can get out of it. Um, who's up for that? You don't have a choice. I've got the mic. <laughs> As always, we love God's Word, and we want to show our honor and respect for God's Word. And one of the ways we do that is to stand when we read it. And so if you could please stand for the reading of God's Word, that will be lovely. This week, we're going to focus on verses 5 all the way through to 11. But what I want us to do is read the whole of chapter 4. All right, chapter 4. Read the whole of chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4 reads, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said? When I was yet in my country, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better to die than to live. And the Lord said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and it made it come up um, and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I... Pity Nineveh, that great city in which you are more that there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. 
That's how the book of Jonah ends. Let's pray and let's see what we can get out of it. God, thank you so much for this time. You're such a good God and you're so gracious. You're so merciful. As we've looked at Jonah in the past few weeks, you've reminded us of just how gracious and how merciful and how loving you are. Um, And as we come to the last part of Jonah, you want to remind us of these important truths. Um, But God, I pray that you would not just have us hear and understand with our minds, but we would truly, by your Spirit, be transformed by it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, have a seat. And so this week um, is kind of the final episode of the book of Jonah. This episode, as we read, you noticed, opens with Jonah leaving the city of Nineveh. And as he leaves the city of Nineveh, he is livid. He is angry. Jonah is angry because, um, with God because he feels God has let him down. God made him go to Nineveh to warn them of his coming judgment. But when the time came for the city to be destroyed, nothing happened. Instead, God pardoned Nineveh. God let them off the hook after they had repented of their evil ways. Look at verse 10 again um, of chapter 3. It says, When God saw what they, that is the Ninevites, did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. For a Jew like Jonah, the Ninevites represented a violent people who had ushered in some of the darkest times in Israel's history. And Jonah is angry with God because as far as he's, he's concerned, the evil and wicked Ninevites deserved nothing but severe punishment. Instead, God chose their mercy. Jonah is outraged by God's mercy towards the Ninevites. He would rather die than live. Look at verse 3 of um, chapter 4. It says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is at the point now where he would rather die than live in a world where the God of his people forgives the God of his enemies. That's what he's dealing with here. He just cannot believe the God of Israel would forgive the people that are his enemies. And so I want to ask you guys a quick question before we move on. Have you ever felt how Jonah is feeling? Have you ever been outraged by God's mercy towards someone whom you feel didn't deserve it? Have you been mad at God for allowing evildoers to go unpunished? I'm glad Jonah and I are the only ones who feel this way. What is God's reaction to Jonah's rage? Look at verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? In other words, God says to Jonah, Jonah, is your anger justified? 
Is it right for you to be angry about this? Is it right for you to be angry that I showed mercy on the Ninevites? Do you do well to be angry? Is your anger, Jonah, is it justified? How does Jonah respond to this question? Um, This morning, we're going to spend our time, remainder of our time, just looking at his response. And when we do, when we look at Jonah's response to this question, we'll discover the following truths about ourselves. We'll first of all discover that we desperately want God to judge our enemies. Second, we'll discover that we rejoice in God's mercy towards us. And lastly, as we look at this last part of Jonah, we'll discover that we are self-centered, but greatly loved. First of all, let's look at how we desperately want God to judge our enemies. If you remember at the very beginning of the story of Jonah, what happened? God commands Jonah, a Jewish prophet, to go to the Nineveh that great city, and call out against it. Although Jonah does not verbally respond to God's command, his actions speak louder um, than words. Instead of going to Nineveh, what does he do? He decides to go um, to a city called Tarshish, um, which is the opposite, in the opposite direction of Nineveh. This time, this time right here, when God asks Jonah, If his anger is justified, Jonah responds in a similar manner, okay? Instead of verbalizing a response, Jonah again attempts to flee from God. Look at verse 5 of chapter 4. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And so instead of responding to God verbally, what does Jonah do? He tries again to run from God by leaving Nineveh and settling on the east side of the city. We have to pause for a moment to discuss Jonah's current location, east side of the city. This is why. Because Jonah's current location, east side of the city, is mentioned not just for geographical accuracy, but also to shed light on Jonah's current spiritual condition. You may have noticed, if you've read your Bible at all, In the book of Genesis, whenever people move east, it's typically a metaphor for moving away from God, for distancing oneself from God. Let me give you some examples. For example, when Adam and Eve sinned, one of their consequences was what? Was that God drove them out to the east of the Garden of Eden. Another example is after, after murdering his brother, right? It says that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod. Here it is, east of Eden. There are other examples of this in Genesis, but the point is that any movement to the east is typically a metaphor for moving away from God. 
Kevin Youngblood says this, these references to eastward migration in Genesis mark stages in humanity's drift away from God. Similarly, um, Jonah's movement east of the city seems to signal the prophet's return to his previous rebellion. He hasn't learned his lesson, has he? He just hasn't. What does Jonah do as soon as he arrives east of the city? Is in the text. It tells us that he builds a booth for himself there. Okay? Um, this booth is possibly like a hut or a shelter of some kind. And even though the author doesn't reveal this to us in the text, I think it's safe for us to conclude that like Jonah had located east of the city was a really um, a hot desert. It was like a desert location. Okay? And so that's why he constructed a booth to give him shade. And this is interesting because... Just as Jonah's first attempt to run from God led him to the harsh, turbulent sea, this second attempt to run from God led him to the harsh environment of an arid desert. What vital lesson can we learn from this? Trying to run from God, trying to flee from God, will often lead us into harsh uncomfortable and difficult situations and I know you agree and I know you can relate trying to run from God will often lead us into harsh uncomfortable and difficult situations in other words you'll end up in a lot of trouble if you choose to rebel against God and so what's the real reason Jonah has built a booth in the desert to provide him with shade? Look at the text again, all right? Look at the text. To provide him with shade until he should see what would become of the city of Nineveh. This, this is a bit odd, isn't it? Why would Jonah sit and wait to see what would happen to Nineveh when he already knows what happened to the people of the city? Jonah already knows what has become of the city of Nineveh. In fact, this is why he's angry and throwing a temper tantrum. He's upset with God because God decided to show mercy to the Ninevites but by not destroying them. This is what has become of the city. God has been merciful to the wicked people because they have repented. And so, what is Jonah waiting for? Why is he sitting east side of the city in a hot desert in this custom-made booth waiting to see what will become of the city? Jonah is where he's at because he's hoping that God will turn from his mercy and rain down judgment upon the city of... Put simply, Jonah is hoping that God will change his mind. He's hoping for justice to be served. Why does Jonah feel this way? Why does he actually think God will change his mind? First... He's hoping that earlier his request to die would change God's mind. Let me explain this to you. Um, 
when Jonah told God he was mad because he had been merciful, you know, God has been merciful to the Nizavites. You remember what he said, right? He says, therefore, oh Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to live than to die. Jonah didn't want to live at all. And so Jonah, he knows what he's doing is really interesting. Him being a Jewish prophet, he was very knowledgeable of God's word and he knew the history of Israel really well. He knew that um, there was a time in Israel's history when Moses did something similar. If you don't believe me, Exodus chapter 32, verse 30 to 32 says this. All right? This is when Jonah had come down from the mountain. He saw people worshiping idols. He got mad. And then he kind of, you know, this is what happens after that. It says, the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Verse 31. So Moses went to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. Verse 32. But now, if you will, God, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, Please blot me out of your book that you have written. What's going on here? Moses is saying to God, God, don't punish these people. I would rather you blot me out of your book. I'd rather you take my life than punish them. Moses is ready to give his life for the people of Israel. Okay? And so Jonah is trying to do something similar, but he does it in this weird way, all right? This is what I mean. Just as Moses laid his life on the line begging God to pardon Israel, Jonah does the same thing, but for a different purpose. Jonah lays his life on the line begging God to destroy Nineveh. What he's doing is this weird thing of maybe if I tell God I'm going to die, God will pity me and go, no, 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 Jonah. Oh, no, I don't want you to die. Do you know what? Ninevites, you know? He's kind of wanting to do something like that. Just a twisted um, individual. The second reason Jonah is hoping that God may change his mind is because of the possibility that the Ninevites may return to their evil ways. He's hoping their their repentance is short-lived. He's sitting and waiting for them to revert back to the wickedness and violence. And if this happens, if the Ninevites go back to their evil ways, the God of justice will surely punish them. He's hoping and waiting for God to withdraw and revoke his mercy. Does God ever do this? Does God ever withdraw his mercy? We know from the story of Jonah that God withdraws his wrath. This is how we know that. God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh, warn them of my coming judgment, and after 40 days, they're going to get punished. Jonah does what God says. 40 days is up. Nothing happens. God displays mercy instead of judgment. We know this, but 
is God capable of doing what Jonah wants him to do? And that is to withdraw his mercy. Let's continue looking at the story. And as we do, we'll hopefully discover answers to these questions. And so, first of all, we've seen that we desperately want God to judge our enemies. Second, we're going to see that we rejoice in God's mercy toward us. And so, Jonah, where is he at? He's located east of the city of Nineveh, drenched in sweat. Just imagine it, sitting in the scorching heat of the desert under this booth he made. And he's hoping and waiting that God will change his mind and destroy the Ninevites like he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Will God change his mind? Will God punish the Ninevites if they revert back to wickedness and violence? Has Jonah provided enough evidence to change God's mind? Nope. God does not change his mind, which is bad news for Jonah, but good news, good news for the Ninevites. But what God does next may seem random at first, but we'll soon see how he'll use this as an object lesson for divine mercy. Look at verse 6 of chapter 4. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. If you've been voyaging with us through Jonah, the first part of this verse should remind you of Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. Remember what happened after Jonah was thrown overboard by the sailors? Yes, the storm did stop, but as Jonah was sinking deep into the bottom of the ocean, um, chapter 1, verse 17 says to us that the Lord appointed a great, big, massive fish to swallow up Jonah. And here in Jonah 4, 6, as Jonah is waiting to see whether God will change his mind, God appoints a plant that provides him with shade to save him from his discomfort. What kind of plant was this? Some of you may be thinking. Nobody knows. Biblical scholars say it could have been a vine, a gourd, or a castor oil plant. Nobody really knows. Let's move on to the next question. Why would Jonah need a plant for shade if he had just made a booth for shade? Someone said yes. Yeah, a lot of you are thinking that. There's no definite answer. Could have been several things. It could have been because Jonah's booth was just not good enough. Just sucked. Nobody, nobody really knows. But what we do know is that Jonah loved the plant. <laughs> Look at the end of verse 6. Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And this is crazy. Oh. <laughs> Oof. 
Yeah, I move my arms a lot. My wife is always like, when you're talking, you're moving your arms, and that's a consequence of my expressiveness. Anyway, so um, where were we? Yeah, loves the plant, and this is he's like, and if you think about it, this is the first time Jonah has been happy about anything. Ever since we met him, he's been miserable. It's the first time he's happy, and he's happy about this plant because it was like an ancient air conditioning system that like just kept him cool in the desert. Earlier, God used a massive fish to save Jonah from drowning in a roaring sea. In this verse, God uses a plant to save Jonah from a possible heat stroke. This may be the reason he's pumped, but... reason he's pumped and I was just thinking about Jonah and just his excitement for the plant and the coolness of it and I was just thinking of like we live in a city where when summer comes like who's super pumped for air conditioning like I always think man 30 years ago 40 years ago or whenever air conditioned didn't exist life would have been hard and so now when it's hot and I get in my car, in my house, and it's air-conditioned, which is expensive, by the way, um, I just, I'm like, gosh, thank you for air-conditioning. I am like Job. I am exceedingly glad for air-conditioning. I'm also glad for showers. I love showers. Take about 10 showers a day. And when I'm in a shower, I'm just like, God, this is amazing. <laughs> This may be the reason uh, Jonah's pumped, but I think really the other reason Jonah is in love with the plant and exceedingly glad for it because it could possibly be that he views the plant as an indication that God is on his side and that God is on the verge of changing his mind about Nineveh. So God's like, yeah, I like how you're thinking. Let me just like provide you with a plant so that you can just get the best experience of seeing Nineveh destroyed. Whatever the reason is for his joy, God has a different purpose for the plant. And so Jonah is now super comfortable under the plant. He's rubbing his hands, stroking his beard, and waiting and hoping for God to change his mind. But as he waits, nothing happens to Nineveh. Jonah's been there all day. It's getting late. The sun sets. Daylight fades. His eyelids get heavy. He yawns and fades into a deep sleep. The next day... First appearance of light in the sky before sunrise, Jonah wakes up to discover two things. Nothing's happened to Nineveh. City's still there. God hasn't destroyed it. The next thing he realizes that his beloved plant, something's happened to it. His air conditioning system is not working anymore. What happened to it? Verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. 
Wait, what? Look, <laughs> crazy. In the book of Jonah, God has often used creation for his purposes. Like, remember, God like sent a storm and then a whale, not a whale, a great fish. And just God has been using his creation to bring about his purposes. And 24 hours ago, God appointed a plant to prevent Jonah from dying of heat exhaustion. Now, God appoints a worm that attacks and destroys the plant. Okay, listen. The Hebrew word for attack is naka. Okay? It's a violent word. That can be translated as beat down, slaughter, and smote. It's an aggressive attack of something, okay? And so if you knacker something, you aggressively attack it. And so the worm, think about it, doesn't just nibble at the plant. <laughs> the worm violently attacks it and destroys it. As you can imagine, the loss of the plant has left Jonah exposed to the sun's intense heat. Look at verse 8. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. It's bad enough losing the plant, but as soon as the plant was gone... Hottest time of the day. Things were bad, but things are worse now. Things have got so bad for Jonah. Look at the last part of verse 8. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Earlier, Jonah wanted to die because he would rather die than witness God's mercy for Nineveh. This time, Jonah wants to die. They die because the very thing that made him happy has been taken away. The very thing that brought joy to Jonah for the first time since we met him has been taken away. And Jonah's response to the destruction of the plant is to be expected because the strong emotions of despair, sadness, and anger are what we feel whenever something we love and appreciate is taken from us. The emotion of despair and distress is what we feel when we lose something we value, no matter what it is. And so, have you ever gone through what Jonah's going through now? Has a good and precious thing been taken away from you? What loss are you currently grieving? Whatever it is, in our despair, in our pain, even as we grieve our loss, the hope we have is the response Job had. If you remember the story of Job, 
opening chapter, he's a man described as an upright man. He was awesome. And then not long after that, he loses everything. And after he had lost everything that he loved and cherished, this is what Job said. Job chapter 1 verse 20, 21 says, At this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. By God's grace, may this be our response. May we be able to say, Lord, you give and you take away, but blessed be your name. As Jonah is in despair at the loss of the plant and desires nothing but death, God speaks to him. Look at verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? This question should sound familiar to you and to Jonah, right? It should, because um, earlier um, in verse 4 of this chapter, God asks him the same question, and God asks him that question, this same question then um, to confront his justification for being angry at God's mercy towards Nineveh. But here, God asks Jonah if his anger towards the plant is justified, and this is how Jonah responds. And he said, yes, I, I, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. In other words, Jonah says to God, my anger is so intense, I could die right now. For Jonah, the loss of the plant is more than the loss of shade and comfort. Because the plant actually represents God's mercy. One author says that Jonah is upset over the withdrawal of God's mercy in the form of a plant. In other words, using a plant, God has done to Jonah what Jonah wants God to do to Nineveh. And that is to take back his mercy after giving it to them. And what God will do next is that he will help Jonah and us see just how twisted our desires are. And he was going to do that in the final two verses of Jonah. And so we've seen that we desperately want God to judge our enemies. We rejoice in God's mercy towards us. Lastly, we'll see this, that we are self-centered but greatly loved. Look at verse 10 and 11. And the Lord said to Jonah, you pitied a plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cuttle? In other words, so what God is saying 
If you don't like what I did to the plant, then why do you want me to do the same thing to the Ninevites? Because if I do to the Ninevites what I did to the plant, this will mean the death and destruction of thousands of people. And this includes innocent children and animals. With these words, God is helping Jonah see how spiritually unhealthy he has become. He cares more about a plant than people who are made in the image of God. And for Jonah, this makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. He cares about the plant more than he cares about the Ninevites because the plant is a blessing to him while the Ninevites have been nothing but a curse for him and his people. He wants God to protect what benefits him and destroy whatever hurts him. In other words, he wants mercy for himself and judgment for his enemies. And we can't judge We can't judge Jonah because we're the same. We are the same. We want mercy for ourselves and judgment for our enemies. With this mindset, what God wants for Jonah has become less important than what he wants for himself. Jonah has become self-absorbed, self-centered. It's become about what Jonah wants and desires, and as a result, he's blind and deaf and resistant to God's will. He's more concerned about his own comfort, which he thinks he deserves, than the idea of lost people going to hell, which he thinks he doesn't. Bill Curtis says this, Jonah is concerned about a plant. The Lord is concerned about sinners in Nineveh. Jonah desires mercy on something temporal and non-human. God, please save the plant. God determines to give mercy to wretched, evil people. Like Jonah, when we become self-centered, we become blind to the purposes of God. When it becomes all about us, we don't know, we don't see, we can't understand God's purposes and his character. And so when we become self-absorbed, rather than being merciful, we become merciless. Rather than seeking forgiveness, we harbor bitterness. Rather than aiming to love our enemies, we justify hating them. Rather than being passionate about the salvation of the lost, we become consumed with the things of this world. Rather than allowing God to live through us, we live for ourselves and do what's right and perfect in our own eyes. We lose sight of what really matters and how God wants us to live when life becomes all about us. Kevin Youngblood says, this perspective is an indication that faith has turned inward and that believers have lost sight of the bigger picture of God's redemptive activity. 
And so have you become self-absorbed and self-centered? Right now, is life all about you? In what ways are you living for yourself rather than living for God? In what areas of your life is what you want in conflict with what God wants for you? And so what's the remedy and solution for self-centeredness? is to continue to take our eyes of ourselves and fix them on Jesus Christ. And the cross of Jesus Christ is where mercy and justice intersect, right? Um, The cross is the ultimate proof that God truly, deeply, and greatly loves sinners like you and I. So let's repent of our sins. Let's turn from our sin of pride and arrogance and selfishness and self-centeredness. And let's turn to Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the dead. And let's remain under the shade of his unwavering love and mercy which no worm or grave can destroy. As also Gerald Wilson says, the story of Jonah is in fact more proof than, believe it or not, God loves sinners. Trevor Wax, an author, says this, It's easy to point a finger at Jonah's small or merciful heart, but the moment we judge Jonah, we judge ourselves. All of us are naturally tribal, focused on ourselves and our self-preservation. It's God who breaks through our artificial borders and leads us into the world with good news. Jonah ran away from his enemies. Christ ran toward them. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our tribal attitudes melt away when constantly exposed to the warm embrace of our missionary God. And so we may be self-centered, but we are unbelievably loved. And the more we savor and observe and fix our eyes on what God has done for us in Christ, the more we know and understand who he is and how he works and his mercy and love for us, and the more we're able to live and relate to people in a way that displays God and his grace and his love to them. And so this morning we've been reminded how desperately we want justice for our enemies. We've also been reminded of how we rejoice in God's mercy for us. And we should rejoice in that mercy. And as we do, we'll be reminded that we are self-centered sinners, but we are greatly loved by a God 
who did all, who, who absolutely displayed his love for us in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. You are good. And as we sing, and as we gather in community throughout the week, may um, your truths uh, that are found in Jonah continue to speak to us and strengthen us and enable us to live the life you've called us to live. In Jesus' name, amen.